You're listening to the Doxology and Theology Podcast, where we promote, encourage, and equip gospel-centered worship. For more information, visit us at doxologyandtheology.com. Here's the plan. I'd love to just give you a little a bit about me, some context um, about where I serve and what I do, and then unpack a little bit about what it means to build a team and how to do that, and then open up for some questions if you have any questions along the way. Love to uh, be able to answer or help unpack any of those. I have two guys uh, from my team with me. This is Dietrich and this is Matt over in the corner. And um, so if, if there's anything that I'm saying that's not true, they'll look at me and be like, dude, that's not actually true at all. <laughs> and you feel free to ask them questions too as we're talking about team. These guys are a part of our staff and um, just vital parts of our, our team culture and dynamics. So if there's questions at the end, love to uh, unpack any of that, okay? Um, man, I hope that I can just be a help and a service to you. Um, I've been at a church called the Austin Stone Community Church for 10 years. I'm the worship pastor there and oversee um, a team of artists that are not just musicians and worship leaders, but that includes storytellers and filmmakers, graphic designers, um, our communication team. And so we, we intentionally, like about five years ago, I guess, um, stopped calling just musicians worship leaders, but we called our whole creative tribe worship leaders because we wanted to see, um, we wanted for artists to see themselves, to view themselves rightly. And that was, hey, you're not just a photographer that's in the church, but you can use photography to help lead people towards worshiping Jesus. You're not just a filmmaker in the church, but you're called to um, provoke worship in people through your filmmaking. And we did that about five years ago. And it's been really, it's been incredible to see the level of uh, buy-in kind of go up, but also the level of maturity and how artists are actually viewing their gifts rightly, that they're meant to serve the church and not to serve themselves. And so that's been really cool. So when I talk about our worship team, uh, really what I'm talking about is that whole creative team, that army of um, artists that are at all of our church campuses. So I've been there for 10 years. Um, We have five campuses across the city. And uh, Austin, Texas is, a, is an incredible town. Anybody ever been to Austin, Texas? Okay, Austin's a great place. It's full of life, full of art, full of great culture, full of amazing people, a lot of young people that have moved from uh, California and moved from East Coast. So it's kind of become um, different than what it was when I moved there 10 years ago. It was just like uh, a Texas town. And now it's become this melting pot for a lot of different types of cultures and a lot of different types of thinking. And so it's a place that I love. It's, it's a perfect place to do church, to really plant roots and see people discover Jesus and then use what they're called to do and what they're created to do uh, to magnify him for the rest of their life. That's really our aim and our mission as a church. And so um, I, I really love the job that I have and I love the people that I get to pour into. And so I hope wherever you're at, these things can be helpful. I tried to... Um, just write down some things that aren't exclusive to Austin or our culture. They're not exclusive to a certain size church or a type of church, but I think these are kind of critical things in any church, in any team of building a team of creative people that are thriving, okay? So let me just start with this. Um, My greatest aim as a worship pastor in the church um, is different than I thought it was when I started out being a worship pastor in the local church. Uh, I've been doing ministry since I graduated from college, 
and that was in 2003. I went to Houston Baptist University and got married there in college. My wife and I both had a love for people, a love for Jesus, a love for the local church, and so we were kind of open to anything. And I thought, uh, stepping into that, that my greatest role as a worship pastor was just to create a worship team and a worship ministry and a worship culture that was awesome. I I thought that's kind of what the role was, not to care about theology, not to care about practice, not to care about structure, not to care about caring for people, but just an awesome worship ministry, right? That's that's what a lot of us kind of tend to start out with or, or tend to kind of bend towards. But what I've kind of discovered, man, is that my greatest aim as a worship pastor is not to have the most creative people I can possibly find. It's not to have the most skilled people I could possibly find. It's not to have the best songs in the world. It's not to be the slickest or the most famous worship ministry. And it's not to build a great worship team. My greatest aim as a worship pastor in the local church is to build a worshiping team. And there's a big difference between worship teams and worshiping teams. You can have a great worship team with that label on it, right? With good identity and good branding and a good reputation maybe in your city and lack having a worshiping team. Um, I think that is what is kind of a missing piece in our local churches is to have a team of people that have a broad kind of range of skills and talents and preferences and opinions, but they're coming together and they're worshiping Jesus together. If you could somehow lead and um, foster an environment where your team is actually worshiping Jesus off of stage, away from the the, the Sunday gathering, and they're truly worshipers, I think that's one of the first steps at actually having what in the eyes of the Lord would be an effective, a powerful, a right worship team, a worshiping team. So all, all of what's coming out of this is this aim to truly invest in people and to build a culture where the, the, the ones that are on that primary team of being worship leaders and creatives and artists are first worshipers. Like they have a deep abiding love for Jesus. They're being pushed towards the gospel. They wanna use their skills, not for themselves, but for the flourishment of the church and for the good of the city, okay? That's the greatest aim. Um, I do want a healthy worship culture And I think that's probably why you guys are all at conferences like these is because you do want to push the edge and you want to become better at what you do and your teams to reflect that too. And so let's talk for just a second about culture. Like what is culture? Uh, This is kind of a buzzword that we throw out a lot. We want to have good culture in our family. We want to have good culture in our church and in our teams. But what in the world is this mysterious blurry thing called culture? Okay, most of us, myself included, have... um, have kind of fallen into this trap of thinking that culture is about what you see or about what you touch or about what you experience. So you go into the Apple store and your first kind of inclination is, wow, this company has great culture because what I see with my eyes and what I can touch with my hands, these devices that they made, not this, they didn't make this, um, that is great culture, right? They're all wearing the same shirt. They're all treating me the same. There's great customer experience. All the products look and feel and work together in a harmonious way. So they have good culture. Maybe you go into a coffee shop and you're like, man, this is a great coffee shop. It has good culture because the vibe of the room or maybe you like the branding on the cup. Um, You like the way that they present themselves to 
the city or to the neighborhood, and we'd be tempted to say that is great culture. That coffee shop, that business has great culture. But none of those things that I just mentioned are true of culture. Those are just graphic design. Those are branding. Those are creation of environments. Those are slick and right ways of structuring employees so they treat you the same way that they treat the other person, but that's not culture. Culture, at the end of the day, here's the definition of culture. Culture is how human beings interact with each other. Culture is how human beings interact with each other. And so if you and I are culture shapers and culture makers at our church, which we all are, then what we have to focus on first is how do the human beings on our team interact with each other. Before branding, before coming up with a cool name for your team, before getting great shirts and swag and having something printed and something to display to your people, before even casting a vision, it starts with how do human beings on this team interact with each other? Is there a commonality in love and respect for each other? Is there a devotion to this church? Is there a pastoral kind of relationship and communication that's given. Culture is all about how human beings interact with each other. The other thing I want you to know too is that you are a culture maker. Um, it's tempting for some of us to go, man, I'm not, culture making is not really my thing. That's kind of her deal because she's like, she has gravitas when she walks in a room, people want to follow her. That's his deal. I'm not really a culture maker. Every person on the planet, every single one is a culture maker. You are making culture around you every single day whether you realize it or not. Sometimes you're making great culture. Sometimes you're making bad culture. There's even a culture of this room. When I walked in, you all are making some sort of culture, even in this room. So in a room where you know, people are not talking to each other or there's kind of a staleness to it, each one of us contribute to that culture making. It's not one person that can, comes in and says, hey, everybody, like, just have your head down. Be totally rude to the next person. Don't say a word. Put your jacket on so it looks and feels cold in here, right? Nobody does that. It's what we each individually decide to do. And that, when it's all combined, creates culture. So every single person in the world is a culture maker. And to put that a little bit more in your plate and my plate, every single person on our team is a culture maker. So for us to be the leaders of culture means we have to lead out in how we're going to expect human beings to interact with each other, okay? That's kind of the preface for how to build a great team, understanding culture and understanding our role. Ephesians chapter four, verse 11, uh, and the following verses are a really good template for what it means to have human beings interacting with each other in a godly, beautiful way. You know it, you've probably read it a hundred times, um, but I just wanna read this to you. And think through the lens of these are people who are creating Christian, healthy, godly, communal culture, okay? It says this, he, this is God, God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. But rather, speaking truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, from whom the whole body, who is joined together 
and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. And when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What a beautiful picture of good Christian, godly, communal culture coming together. And I love how there's just these really strong words here. There's nothing subtle about what's going to happen or what they're to do, but these are strong words. Speaking the truth, growing up in every way, being joined and held together. Um, When each part is working properly, these are all action words. It builds itself up in love. This has been a template for our team on how we're going to interact with each other and what culture is going to look like. Okay, so I want to give you five practicals, five practicals um, for building a good team that has this kind of culture. Five. I have 10 and uh, all 10 of these are fleshed out. Uh, If you are interested in it, we have some online resources at austinstoneworship.com, which I'll remind you about later. So all 10 of these are there but I kind of whittled it down to five for time's sake because you have Chick-fil-A to get to, okay? Here's number one. Number one practical for building good team culture. Culture starts with vision. Okay, so once you've had this conversation about good culture, hey, here's how we're going to interact with each other, here's how we're not going to, then we move to vision, okay? Good culture is about the vision. If I asked you right now, what is the vision of your worship ministry? Could you put it in a sentence or two? Could you put it in a sentence or two? If you could, that is a great place to start. If you can't yet right now, my encouragement to you would be to start there. Start with whittling things down to be able to say, here is what Austin Stone Worship Ministry is about. And it's a sentence, right? Here's what your church's worship ministry is about. And it's a sentence. Now, this isn't the same vision as your church's mission statement. Okay, our church's mission statement is different than our worship ministry's vision statement. It is a direct connection to it. It comes out of it. It overflows from the mission statement, but it's focused on, yes, but what does this mean for creative ministry and worship ministry in our church? So a very clear, concise vision for what you are about as a worship ministry. Now, this isn't just like good, um, you know, corporate wisdom, business model kind of, suggestion, advice stuff. This is from the scripture. Proverbs 29, 18 has this warning. In the King James Version, it says, and this is the, I'm I'm telling you this version because it's the most like pointed on how serious this is. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there's no vision, the people perish. Uh, NASB um, puts it this way. Where there's no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. Where there's no vision in your worship ministry, the people cast off restraint. What does that mean to cast off restraint? You think about marriage without restraint. What is marriage without restraint? It's destructive, right? There's no rails. There's no lines. There's no boundaries if you don't have restraint in marriage. And so it's destructive. What's anger without restraint? It's rage, right? It's wounding to other people. What is language without restraint? sharp. It's, it's hurtful. It'll leave wounds that last some people a lifetime. What is spending without restraint? It's sinful. It's frivolous. What's eating and drinking without restraint? It's gluttony. It's drunkenness. Drunkenness. What's a team without restraint? A team without restraint is disunified at best, totally ineffective at worst. See, like your team and my team need some rails. Like, hey guys, here's the vision. 
And this vision actually puts fences around all of us. So if you're inside this team, it means some of the ways you exercise your gifts or your passions or your calling, right? They might not fit in here. So you're a photographer and you want to do all these 10 things. Hey, great. What it means to buy into this vision is you understand as a photographer, there's some restraint. It means there's some calling here. There's some commitment here. There's some things that you're saying, I'm going to do as a photographer that's on this team, right? Good team culture starts with the vision. Here is who we are and here's who we are not. Um, How do we set vision? I think we all know we want vision. How do you actually do it? Okay, five very, very simple kind of steps to creating vision, okay? At the end of the day, I think we all want vision, but how in the world do you do it? It starts with this, one, asking the question, where do we want to go? Where do we want to go? Okay, this starts with you, the primary leader or shaper of worship ministry, creative culture, okay? Where do you want to go? It sounds like on paper, it sounds like a very man-focused kind of question, but when you put in there, hey, who you are in Christ, I'm assuming that you are a mature follower of Jesus, that you have the Holy Spirit in you, and that you're bought on board with the mission of your church. So I'm assuming those things. So I think the next question is, okay, I have the Holy Spirit in me, and he wants the best things for this church because he cares deeply about worship. Like he cares a lot about it, like forever and ever kind of care about it, okay? And so God, in all the things you've put in me, where do you want us to go and shape my desires to look like your desires to where I could look at a blank piece of paper and go, man, with everything here, what do I want us to look like? What do I want us to be as a worship ministry? Asking that question, where do we go? It needs to have significant purpose, right? It needs to have clear values. It needs to picture the future. Where you want to go is about the future, right? What's five years from now need to look like in my church? So first, where do we want to go? Second, honestly describe the current reality. That's where we want to go, but what does today look like? What's the vibe like? What's the, what are the people like? What's the morale like? What's the number of people that are a part of the team right now? Is it small? Is it too big? What's the current reality? Okay, that's the second question. Number three, what are the actions to move forward? It sounds so simple, but we rarely do it, right, when we're thinking about vision. What are the steps to move forward? So if this is our current reality and we don't like it, it's not right and good yet, but we know where we want to go five years from now, what are the steps to get us there? What's the gap between vision and current reality? And how do you close that gap? Uh, Number four, a plan for involvement and communication. So you know the steps. Now what is your plan to actually get people involved, to communicate that vision to them? There needs to be a very clear plan for that. Uh, Honestly, number four, number five is usually where all of us kind of fall off of the rails here. And then we get super frustrated that we have this great vision that nobody knows about and nobody cares about, right? So four and five, if you're starring anything, four and five are the most important because this is where we fall, uh, fall apart. So communicating and having a plan for involvement. Um, this is how we're going to do this, guys. This is how we're going to collaborate. This is how we're going to communicate to people what the vision is. And then the fifth one is this, personal commitments from you and from the team. Personal commitments from you and from the team. This is where you gather your team. You've told where you're going to go. You've honestly described the current reality. 
You've listed some steps to get us moving forward. You have a clear plan for communicating it. And this is where you go, hey, listen, but it means I need you to commit to this. And I need you to commit to this. And I need you to commit to this. And I'm personally committing to this. We are all in this together. If, if we're not, there's no way this vision can ever unfold. Okay? So those are five simple steps to crafting vision. Um, it means telling your people like who they are over and over and over again. Guys, this is who we are as a team. This is who we are as a team. You can ask these two guys, man, it feels like the thing that we do the most is tell our people who they are over and over and over again. Um, I've given this talk to our primary team 20 times. Uh, we talk about our vision all the time. We have our most, like our highest values printed on shirts and on hats and the bottom of emails. And every time we gather together, we're just saying those same things over and over again. There are times where I look at everybody, I'm like, are y'all tired of hearing this yet? And sometimes they're like, yes, but you need to keep saying things over and over and over for culture and vision to stick. Um, I'm gonna give you hours, okay? Here are our 10 statements that we put in front of people over and over and over again. They're really simple. I can send these, guys, these out to you. You don't have to write them all down. Um, they're also on our, our website too. But these are the 10 things that we are telling our people over and over and over again. We esteem the word of God. We depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. We love and worship Jesus above everything. We are a community of shepherds. We choose camaraderie over comparison. We choose servanthood over stardom. We are not moved by applause or criticism. We value excellence in everything we do. We focus on character over competency. And we consider others more important than ourselves. Okay, so those aren't true about us yet. This is not our current reality yet. This is our future reality that we're striving for. And so as we've done this step, right, of casting vision, it means we have to do this over and over and over again, calling people upward. Listen, this is who you think you are, but actually this is what the scripture says that we should be as a worshiping team, okay? So that was all the first one, creating uh, good culture, starts with vision. We'll fly through the other three because they're a little bit shorter, okay? Number two, number two, second practical, Look at who's right in front of you and shepherd them. Look at who's right in front of you and shepherd them. Okay? Um, man, one of the, what I think one of the, the biggest traps that churches can fall into is missing the people that are right in front of them because they're looking for people outside their circle that might be better, more qualified, better musicians, more impressive, more dynamic, more charismatic. So you, you find a team going, man, we've got no good musicians. Let's start looking uh, around the church. I mean, around the city. Let's, let's see, man, if we could get, man, if we could get her, whew, we would have a great worship ministry. Or man, we compare ourselves to this church over here in this other city. If we had that, we could be so, so much better, right? Um, good culture starts with the culture shapers looking at who's right in front of them and shepherding them. So you have right now at your disposal, no matter like how big your church is or how small your church is, you have right now in proximity, close proximity, the people that God wants to use to help build that local church. Are there gonna be times where you need some outside help for a guy like me to come in and, and serve you by sharing this kind of stuff with your team? For sure. Is there a time where you might need somebody to 
come fill in and play on a Sunday because you, your volunteers are all out. Of course, okay, this is not like rule of law here, but I'm saying right in front of you are people, men and women, that God has put in your church to serve. The hard part is realizing that shepherding takes time. So to truly be a shepherd to those people, you got to know, listen, just here's the truth. Shepherding takes an insane amount of time. Hiring takes zero time. Shepherding takes a lot of time. So I want to spend just a few minutes here talking about this, this concept of shepherding taking time, okay? Resist the temptation to look for the easy path. Leading a team towards Christ and maturity and skill and leadership, it is an incredibly slow path. The path that you're on for leading a team is slow, okay? I don't know if this will encourage you or discourage you, but I've been at my church for 10 years now, okay? A decade. And there's some of you that have been at your church longer than that. But in 10 years, when I think about the future reality, right, of where I want us to go and be, I feel like we're only like just a couple steps forward after 10 years, right? There's so much more to do. There's so much more that God wants to do in our city and in our church. I have to keep reminding myself, man, this is a long, long race here. Ministry is not a short race. It is a long one. And so where you're at, where you're planted, just realize shepherding those people, as frustrating as they might be, they are the people that God called you to be a shepherd to. So just own it. It takes a lot of time. Okay. Um, The thing that we have going against us is that our attention span is getting shorter while the role of ministry seems like it keeps getting longer, right? Our attention span, I mean, it is crazy how short it is. And it's short for the people that you're leading too. Like you'll notice even in, you know, stopping at a red light, I I pull my phone out to check Instagram. Like I can't even get through like a two and a half minute red light without thinking about something else. Um, What does that mean for us as shepherds? It means us as shepherds, we always have to be attentive and awake to the present moment. The present moment is so underrated for us. Maybe you're a student or maybe you are just stepping into ministry. It is easy to be discontent with the present and just think about the future. But God puts you in the present moment to be a shepherd to those people on your team. So don't miss the present moments. That's where God is actually doing the work of transforming people to be the kind of people on your team that are going to serve the church and lead the city really well. So there's no easy way around this. It just takes a lot of time and a lot of patience, okay? A couple practical things here. Create time, regular time to interact with your team. If these are a team of volunteers, then create a space where you are always in front of your volunteers. We have a thing called Worship Collective, which we realized about five or six years ago that there was a gap. Um, Our staff was bought in. And on a given Sunday, our church was bought in, but the gap was our volunteers, the ones that were busting their tails every Sunday, showing up an hour before and leaving an hour later, there was a gap in them understanding vision of who we are and what we're about. And so we created a monthly gathering for our volunteers called Worship Collective. Um, That's for anybody at any five campuses that is involved with worship ministry. And again, worship meaning all creative arts, or anybody who wants to get involved. So it's the big open door. If you came to me on a Sunday and you're like, hey man, I'm amazing at guitar, how do I get plugged in here? My answer to you is the same as anybody else that comes up, come to Worship Collective. It's the place to get plugged in and to 
discover what the mission and vision is of this worship ministry, okay? Um, so create some space like that to interact with people. There should be a calendar date, not just flippant, but a calendar date of when you are doing these things, when you're casting vision to your people, when you're shepherding, when you're inviting them into fully understanding what it means to be a worshiping team, okay? Um, we'll go to the third one, third practical. Third practical for building a team, a worshiping team. Um, listen more than you speak. Listen more than you speak. This is counterintuitive for leaders, okay? Um, we've been kind of trained as leaders to be the most dynamic, to be the loudest, to be the strongest, um, to be the one that's always casting vision, the one that's always speaking and proclaiming, right? But good leaders listen way more than they speak. There's no way for you to truly know how to lead your people if you're not listening to what's actually going on in their life. Like you can cast all the vision in the world, but if you don't know that this person on your team is actually going through the hardest season of their entire life, no amount of good vision will supersede good pastoring ever, you know? And so listen more than you speak. Um, the best leaders in my life are the ones that cast vision, right? But then have an ear that listens to me and listens to what's going on in my world and my life that's asking some of those questions. They're not gonna be my accountability partner every time, right? But they're listening, they're leaning in. Those are the best leaders. Um, a practical way to do that, because this is hard, right? You're busy, your people are busy. It's just really hard to lean in all the time. A practical way is we have a rhythm of sending out um, emails or surveys to people on our team to ask them really hard questions. At first, I think this was kind of weird because they're like, why are, you, why are you sending me an email? Why are you sending me a Wufu form or a Google Doc asking me questions? Uh, but now the culture's kind of been set where, hey, the reason we're doing this is because we care so deeply about what's going on and what your perspective is on this worship team. So here's a couple questions that I ask all the time. Three questions. How can I pastor you better? How have I failed you recently? And what are you dreaming up next? Three questions, okay? Again, these aren't questions about like the details of their life. These aren't questions about the details of our ministry. These are very broad questions to go, hey, at first, I wanna know how I can better lead you. I truly wanna know how I've failed you. And I truly wanna know what God is birthing in you, what he's building in you to dream up for the city and the church and the world, right? And you would be shocked at how honest people are when they're given the space to answer some of these questions. Here's a few answers I've gotten. I said, how can I pastor you better? One person answered, I need you to lead me well, but also turn that switch off and just be my friend. I needed to hear that, right? Um, another person, same question. I need to hear more stories about what God is doing in our church, not just stories about what God is doing in our ministry. That was good, right? That's like a teachable moment for me to go, okay, the kind of stories that I want to tell our worship ministry don't always need to revolve around worship ministry or creative people. But hey, here's what God is doing in Thailand right now through a family in our church. That inspires, that provokes, right, um, a, a true joy for doing ministry. If I wouldn't have asked that question, though, I never would have known that that's what my people actually want. 
Uh, harder question, right? How have I failed you lately? Uh, here's an answer. I love you, but <laughs> that's when you know like there's a good thing coming. <laughs> I love you, but most of the time it feels like you're too busy just to hang or have lunch. So for me, I see the calendar and I think, man, there's so much going on. I can't do that right now. But from the perspective of, of a person that I'm shepherding, their perspective is that was a failure. Like you, you failed me. The, answer, the, the question was, how have I failed you? The answer was, you weren't available for me when I truly needed it, right? And so for me, like, it's a constant balance of knowing however large your church is, you can't do that with every single person all the time. But I want to have a discernment and a sensitivity to know when someone is asking me to go to lunch or coffee, to have enough spiritual discernment and kindness and grace to know, yes, I need to do that. You know what I'm saying? You know, there's, there's discernment that pops in of like, yeah, okay, I need to do that. And it was a failure on my part that I, that I didn't do that, right? Um, so listen, like lean into your people, ask them hard questions, they will give you right answers. Um, the rhythm for that is we do that with staff, okay? We do that twice a year, um, sometimes more if it just feels like maybe there's some apathy or there's some conflict, we'll, we'll do it more often. And then with our volunteers, we do it about twice, twice a year too. Um, with band members, whoever's leading that band does that with them. So we've created this culture where feedback and question asking is wanted. It's expected, right? And it's super hard. The last one that I got, I asked uh, all, every person on our staff, um, it was about 15 questions and they were deeper dives. They were like, have you felt the ministry of prayer from me in the last 12 months? Yikes, right? Um, another question was, um, if you could look at my life over the last 12 months, what would you say my top three priorities were? And I looked at what they said, and I looked at what, my, what I thought my priorities were, and they didn't line up, right? They were separate. Um, so it was really hard. And, and it caused some hard conversations after that where I had to be completely humble and say, man, I'm sorry that that came across that way. Um, and there were times where, you know, there's, it's right for you to go, here's what actually happened. Here were the circumstances that caused that feeling or that reaction. But I'm sorry, because I want to be a really good pastor and shepherd to you. Shepherding takes time, a ton, a ton of time. And it means listening more than you speak. Okay, uh, we'll move on to the, uh, the fourth one. Know what is most valuable to you and your team. Know what is most valuable to you and your team. Okay? Um, listen, there are so many, God, there are so many things in modern worship culture that are tempting to make the most valuable thing out of us. Like, th there's been seasons where I've had to unfollow all of my peers and my friends on Instagram that are worship leaders of worship ministries, not because I don't like them, but because I found my heart valuing what they value more than what God told me to value for my church and for my people, which is a different context than that church that's on the other side of the planet doing different kinds of things with different kinds of people. So if we don't know what is most valuable to us, it is so tempting to just value what anybody says you should value. Like there are things that you're going to learn at this conference that are 
right, godly, and true, but they might not need to be the most valuable thing for the people that you're leading in the city you're leading in the context that you're at. You could go to another worship conference at the uh, beginning of next semester, and there's going to be a whole other set of values that you have to filter through. Who are the people I'm leading? What is my unique calling? And what is the mission of my church? So there's going to be things that my church values that your church might not. I have um, really good friends that have do incredible ministry and one of their highest values, and they would say this on paper, one of their highest values is social interaction. They would put that in the top like three. And for them, that might be a really, really good value based on the city they live in, the mission of their church, and how they communicate with their people, right? So it'd be tempting sometimes for me to go, okay, well, that has to be our number one value now. Like we, we're going <clears> to <throat> switch everything and go to that as an example. But what is most valuable is always revolving around who are the people I'm called to lead? What is my calling as a worship pastor right now? And what is the mission of my church in the city that I live in? Okay, so know your values. Values are things that you never veer away from. Okay, so you don't value acoustic guitar-led songs. That's not a value. That's a preference. Okay, value never changes. So music styles are going to change. Rooms are going to change. Preferences are going to change, but what are the values of your ministry? Those should not change. Um, any uh, fans of Ikea in the room? Come on. Okay. Everybody's like, I don't, can I say that? It's, y- yes. Uh, here's, the, here's the vision of Ikea. Okay, this is on their website. I'm not making this up. To create a better everyday life for people. When you think about it, it kind of makes sense, right? Like, everything's cheap. It falls apart, but it's cheap. And it looks awesome. So their vision is create a better everyday life for the, for the, for the many people. It's so like Swiss, right? For the many people. Uh, mission. Their mission is offer a wide range of well-designed functional home furnishings and products at prices so low that as many people as possible will be able to afford them. That's their mission. And then here's their values. And they put four down that are their highest values that will never change no matter what the bookshelf looks like or where they're located. Here it is. Simplicity, cost consciousness, togetherness, and accepting responsibility. Those things inherently have nothing to do with furniture or coffee cups. (laughs) Nothing, right? It's all about the value of what they're going to build, their team, their culture, their business, their organization right on. So put that in like godly, church, kingdom kind of minded things. What are the four or five things that are going to so profoundly affect the way your people interact with each other and what all of your music styles and liturgy styles and applications of um, practice and how you're going to reach the city, what do all of those filter through? What are the four or five? Here's ours. We wrestled through this for you know, about a year until we kind of landed on these five things. The Word of God. Duh, right? If that wasn't on there, you'd be like, hey man, forgot one. The Word of God. Excellence. Togetherness. Stole it from Ikea. Engagement. And development. So you should be able to see all five of those things inside of our creative ministry. A sense of togetherness. I need you. You need me. A sense of development. Hey, I'm not ever going to be satisfied with you being where you are at right now. We want people to keep growing. The Word of God, 
being central in every song, every liturgy, every message. Excellence, we want you to be as excellent as humanly possible for you right now. And because development is on your side, you're going to become more and more excellent as you go. And then engagement. We want to engage with God and we want to engage with people. Okay, those are ours. What are yours? You should have them. Um, and if it takes you a year to wrestle through them, awesome. What are the core values, right, is another way of saying um, for your ministry. And then number five, number five, and then we'll have some time for questions. Number five, create a family culture that is irresistible. Create a family culture that is irresistible. Some of the best ministers that I know do not work at churches. Um, they are they're just people that are in the business world or in the medical field or teachers at school. Um, and they're the best ministers because they've chosen to intentionally do this right here, to create a family culture around them that is absolutely irresistible. Like there's nothing in the city that can compare to what it feels like when you're in their home with them. There's no program. A lot of times, like even the local church, right, doesn't feel as hospitable or welcoming or communal or life-giving as some of these people's houses and the way they do life is, right? If you and I are able to create a family culture in our worship ministry that is irresistible, I'm telling you, it is life-giving to people and it changes the course of what the local church looks like and feels like in your city. This is what we are striving for is to have a culture where you come in as a believer and maybe you come in bruised and you come in cynical. This is the most welcoming and inviting and engaging family that you could possibly find. If you're a believer and you were totally bought in and you were ready to go on mission, that this would be the place that is the most fueling and the most encouraging family that you could ever find in the city of Austin, Texas. If you're an unbeliever, right? And you are looking to just become a better artist. You don't, faith isn't even on your radar. Our aim is that Austin Stone Worship, our collective, would be the place that would be the most welcoming, encouraging, inviting, challenging family, that it's irresistible. Like, how, how would you not be a part? When I think about the gospel and I think about how Jesus interacted with people, it was that sense. There's a sense of, I've got to be around this person because there's something about him that's so radically different. A worshiping team, like a good one, has a family culture that is irresistible. Um, here's what I mean by that. We've, we've tried to be really intentional about hospitality, about creating environments when we meet together as volunteers, or band rehearsals, or family meals that we do with our staff, that it truly is a family sort of vibe. Um, we have a saying that we throw out all the time, work hard, play hard. We want our people to work hard, right? To be really good at what they do, but then for that to be matched with an element of play hard. Um, we do twice a year a thing called Family Day, and this is for all of our leaders and spouses and their kids and families um, where we just like get together, usually at my house or somebody else's house in the backyard, and we have cornhole, then we have food. Um, sometimes we'll pay for the food if we have that in our budget. Other times it's like, hey, bring a crock pot of chili. We'll have a chili contest. And we'll just hang, like just two or three hours of just hanging out like a good family does. That is a rhythm of our ministry. Family day happens all the time. Uh, retreats for people to be able to come into um, where hospitality is 
kind of crucial. Like wherever you're at, man, you can do this. It doesn't take money to have this sort of family kind of culture. It doesn't. You don't have to have any extra dollars in your worship budget to have Sunday after church a gathering where you are just able to love on your volunteers and your people. They bring the food. They bring the stuff. You have the cornhole out. You have the games out. Whatever that looks like for you, but where you're intentionally fostering a family sort of environment. Um, Here's another reason why this is important. Everybody on your team already has leaders in their life. They've got a boss. They've got a supervisor. They probably have maybe a professor. They have a leader, a mentor, somebody that they're responsible uh, to follow. So you and I have to ask the question, most of the time they're volunteering to follow us, right? We're not paying them to follow us most of the time. So what makes it worth them following? Like they have a ton of leaders in their life, but they don't have a ton of leaders that are worth following. And I think that's a really good question for us to keep asking. Like what makes this ministry worth pouring your life into, worth resisting apathy, worth cutting down idols and chasing after Jesus? What makes it worth like fighting for each other? Things that make it worth it um, is having a leader that is, that is humble, having a leader that is for them, having a leader that's attentive, that cares, having a leader that listens. Those type of leaders, man, th- those, those are not like a dime a dozen. Those are like super rare. And as ministers of the gospel, like Ephesians talks about, we actually have something that is worth following. We have Jesus, who is the best leader that's ever been and ever will be. We have God, who's the most creative artist that's ever existed and ever will exist. Like we have all of those things. And so as creators of good worshiping culture, we just have to keep presenting that over and over and over again, making spaces for those conversations to happen, being humble enough, right, to listen and to lean in. Um, I truly do believe, man, that um, God put you exactly where you're supposed to be. Like, you may not like the church that you're at. You might not like the, the people that you're with right now. There are seasons, right? After 10 years, there are seasons, man, where I look, this is recorded, so I don't know where it'll go, but um, where, you know, you kind of look at where you're at and you're like, man, you know, I know the grass is not greener on the other side, but is it? You know, you start to think that or wonder that, especially in a, in a, in a world where everybody else's greener side is edited and filtered and it's here for you to look at and stare at and comment and read comments and then like comments, right? That, that's where our world is at right now. Man, I'm telling you, the best thing that you could do is resist that temptation. Be planted where you're at. Enjoy it. Like actually enjoy the best parts of it and the hardest parts of it and make a commitment. Hey, as long as you have me here, God, I want to be a good steward of the soil that I've been given. Um, One of my good friends is a farmer. His name is Jason. He has a phenomenal farm outside of Austin. And this guy does the same exact thing every single day of his life. He wakes up, he takes the eggs out of this pen, puts them in these cartons. He goes over, tends to these animals, comes back, goes and tends to those animals, comes back, goes, tends to those animals, comes back, closes that pen, closes that pen, and that's the end of his day. He does the same thing every day. And what I've learned from him is that there's an intentionality in a farmer or a builder or a cultivator that we sometimes don't have as ministers. We want the quick way and we forget that it means just plowing the soil over and over again. And so 
feel encouraged that whatever you feel kind of coming in here, right? If this stirs up like anxiety or it stirs up like, man, I'm done. Hear it the way God wants you to hear it. In Ephesians chapter four, this is all about us doing these things so that people grow together, Jesus is glorified, and ultimately the church looks like it it truly should. So I hope those things are helpful. There's five more if you guys are interested in those. And I'd love to just be available for some questions. We have about 12 minutes. So if there's questions for me or Dietrich or Matt over there, uh, we'd love to unpack any of that. Anybody got a question? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great question. Question is, what do we do at Worship Collective, our gathering for volunteers? We do four things, and these four things happen um, every month, and they've all stayed the same from day one. And I think this is our fifth year, maybe to start, fourth year, something like that. All four, okay? We eat, okay? So there's a, a, an element of eating food. There's nothing more hospitable and welcoming than stepping into a place where there is food. We used to do full meals, so we had, the team was much smaller then. Now it's usually 200 or so people on a normal um, gathering. When it was small, we could buy food for everybody. We can't do that, so now it's like a chip and salsa, right? But food, <laughs> worship, we get together and we worship. We try to make it look and feel not like Sunday, just so it's different. So we do it in the round, or we might do it acoustic in December. We all gather in the room around one piano in the middle of the room. So we're thinking creatively, how do we worship together but not feel like Sunday? Um, we receive communion together, and there's an element of teaching. And the teaching is all about super high level inspiration, vision. This is who we are. It's those 10 things that I told you, just each time shaped differently. So they might not know we're talking about servanthood over stardom, but we know that that's what we're talking about and we're keeping that in front of them. So those four things every time. Any other question? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. How do you go about instilling this if you don't have a primary worship leader that's doing this? Is that kind of your question? Yeah. Okay. Um, So I think there is a myth that the only people that can lead creative people um, is the most creative person in the room. You know, so we look like who's the best creative? Okay. You're the leader now. Right. And that's just not always true. There are really fantastic leaders of worship ministries and worship volunteers that don't lead worship. Um, our worship director, his name is Chris Collins, and he is absolutely incredible at, at this that you're talking about, of getting people together, of bridging the gaps between people with different preferences or different ways of doing things. And he's not a worship leader on our team. So he's never in front of people leading with his voice or with a guitar, but he's able to do that from a, a truly like executive and pastoral sort of way. And so I think it means identifying somebody there has to be someone who takes the mantle of this and someone that has a deep love for worship ministry and creative ministry and can just be present. And, and with the goal of finding someone in that team that might kind of rise up to, to be that sort of leader. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, how do you balance putting people forward that have like a real passion for worship versus having elements that you need 
but maybe they're not as committed? Mm. Great question. Um, so, Could you repeat it? yeah, how do you, for people that are super passionate, but maybe not skilled yet in doing it, how do you handle that? Mm -hmm. I'm saying that correctly? Right. And then, what was your second part? People that are, that maybe are good at musicians, but just aren't committed, or, you know, for whatever reason in that season, yep. and how do you balance needing those elements on stage Okay, for sure. Um, I think that a critical piece to that is to have a very clear process for people to be involved in your worship ministry. Um, and maybe it's not like fully fleshed out, but some sort of plan so that you have an answer for anybody, whether they, you know that they're great at what they do or you know they need a lot of work still. There needs to be a very clear process that's the same for every person. So we have an answer to that question. Somebody comes up. I don't even need to know if they're great yet at what they do skill-wise. What I'm looking for is, do they have the heart of a worshiper? Are they willing to jump in and be committed and devoted? And then the skill set thing is later, because that skill set will determine sometimes where they're going to be put into the worship ministry. So the first question is, come to Worship Collective. This is where you get plugged in. And when you get there, we're going to tell you about all the needs that we have in our ministry. One month, there may be two needs. We need a a kids worship leader uh, at our downtown campus that all you do is dance around, right? You don't even sing, there's no microphone, but you just dance. We need that person. And then we need a bass player in student ministry at our North Campus. So we've set that question, here's the process. The way you get involved is you come to Worship Collective, you hear the needs, and then you respond to them. If you are the greatest bass player in the world, but you're unwilling to play bass for student ministry at a campus, then what I know from that is you're not ready to be a part of our worship ministry, right? But if you are the greatest bass player on the entire planet and the highest need that we have in our ministry is somebody to set up chairs downtown at 5.45 in the morning and you do that, I'm like, yes, you, you need to rise in your leadership uh, at our, at our, in our ministry because you've proven that you are a servant and you're a worshiper first. And so that over time has has just kind of created some ripple effects where um, for years and years of saying that some people stick some people don't they end up going somewhere else where they can play bass um, but it's created this team that is more servant kind of focused than pursuing the elevated thing we tell us a, a, a kind of a, a statement that we have that we keep in front of our people is um, the church does not exist to serve your gifts, but your gifts exist to serve the church. And so are you willing for six months to wrap cables at the end of service? That's what we really need. We don't need any more guitar players. Is that helpful? Mm -hmm. Answer your question? Yeah. Yeah, great question. How much of that is evoking versus training um, in creating a worshiping team that's vibrant? Um, I don't know about percentage, man. I, I think most of what we do, um, because artists are so experiential, is we try to 
like marry those things really well. So the, the person that's driven by experience needs to have opportunities where that experience is provoking them forward, but balanced with the why and the theology behind it. And then the people that are driven, highly like theologically driven, fact driven, truth driven, but maybe don't have the experience. So they're the people that have all the head knowledge, but in worship, they look like they would rather be asleep, you know, um, is again, they need the balance of somebody to provoke, hey, here's a posture of worship. Here's what it looks like to be vibrant, you know. So it's a balance. I, I, I don't know the exact like percentage, how, how we view it, you know, but it's like we want to meet both of those types of people. So like in your worship collective, mm-hmm. how, would you, is it a balance there too? Like that's, you're saying it depends on the person and that's a great point. But like when you're talking to the whole team, Yeah, sure. I I think I can help by answering it this way. Um, The worship, the singing part is 100% evoking. And we only have leaders doing that that are really good at doing that. Because we want people to walk in and we want them to encounter God. Like we want the Holy Spirit to actually stir in them a deep love for the word, for the church, for their mission. We want that to happen. So in that worship singing time, it's evoking. And then the teaching part is a bit more like, here's why, like, here's what it means to be a worshiper. Here's what it means to actually have your theology affect your, your lifestyle and what you do. You know, we brought in a chef um, last month and the whole thing was, it was very like inspirational. It was me interviewing him and we would cook together. But the purpose of it was, hey, as a worship leader, as an artist, you have to care deeply about all the details. And when you put things together and you're disciplined at doing those things, then beauty emerges. And as an artist that has the Holy Spirit, that's what you get to do every time you're creating a song, every time you're creating a liturgy. So it's evoking, but then it's always paired with the, the why and the how and where that comes from in scripture. So I don't know if I've ever had the question asked like that, but I think maybe intuitively, we're always doing both but using a different messenger to do that, if you will. Does that make sense? Did y'all answer that any differently? Okay. Anybody else have a question? Yeah. Can you talk to me a little bit about how the vision of the church informs the vision of the ministry and how that affects building a team? Mm-hmm. How does the vision of the church affect the vision of the worship ministry when you're building a team? Um, Yeah, I think that um, that is, you know, the mission and the vision of your local church um, might look and on paper be different than the mission and vision that's written down for my church because it's contextual. Um, But it is the same mission. We want to see disciples be made. We want to see the name of Jesus be elevated. We want to see mission happen. You know, so it's contextualized to the city. And so all the worship ministry is doing is just contextualizing that to how does this actually filter into being a creative? So how does a creative fulfill the Great Commission? You know, how does a creative care deeply about missions? Sometimes it means you need to be one of the couple of hundred that leave and go to another country. But maybe as a creative, it means you need to go tell some stories of what happened when this family left. So it's just contextualizing it to creative people specifically. Um, most, most creative people 
struggle with, and I'm saying this as one, connecting the dots with this is how I'm wired and this is the vision or mission of something, but how do I fit into that? I mean, almost all the questions that we have from creative people is, what's my place? Like, how do I fit into this? Because I'm different, I see things differently, I'm wired differently. Help me understand what my place is. I think the mission, vision of the worship ministry helps them connect the dots between the overall mission of their local church. You know, like puts it in their lap. This is how. You have a question? I to say again, I missed it. Uh, a team without restraint. Mm. Yeah, a team without restraint is, um, let me get it for you. A team without restraint is disunified at best, totally ineffective at worst. Yeah, you're welcome. I think we have time for one more. We've gone back and forth on that, and it depends on the level of um, their commitment to the team. So when we send it out to our 200 or so volunteers, it's anonymous. It's more of a checked box, one to five, how do you feel, room for some comments. Uh, but if it's like leaders on our team, so worship leaders, band members, staff members, it's not anonymous. Yeah. Yeah. Guys, thank you so much for leaning in and listening. And if uh, we can be a service to you, austinstoneworship.com, all of our email addresses are on there. This content is on there. We have some online development programs that teams can go through together. All that's under development. So I hope those can all be a resource to you guys. Yeah, let me pray for you and then you can scatter. God, thank you for the, the care and concern that you have for us as your sheep. Thank you, God, that you are attentive to us, that you, that you care deeply about what our heart looks like and what affections are, are stirring in us. And you are always quick with grace and with truth to correct us. And so, God, I pray that if anything needs to be corrected in us as we lead our people, that you just do that, um, that you would help us. We need your, your vision and your thinking. We need you and your voice to speak into every single aspect of it. So I pray for my friends here, that they would lean into you maybe further than they ever have as they feel the weight, the mantle of leading people. And for every person that's in our worship ministry and is to be in our worship ministry, God, we pray for them. We ask that they would fall deeply in love with you and your word, that they would realize that they're put on this, this planet with a purpose, with a mission. We want to be good stewards, God, of shepherding them. And so we love you. We're grateful for you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.